0: Hey, guys, this is Field of Vapor. Hey, folks, this is Pete Basardo.
1: Hey guys, this is Ruby Roo and you're listening to Smoke Free Radio.
2: Smoke Free Radio, right here on the VP Live Network. It has been a while. Just got back from my vacation. Of course, without traveling hitches. No, I'm just kidding. Of course, it's going to be traveling hitches. That's <laughs> me traveling. What would you expect? Uh, I have missed everybody. I hope Russ was able to entertain you the past couple of weeks with his gay porn stories. Uh, but I did listen to his uh, replays, of course, while in Greece. Always entertaining Russ. And obviously, you can catch... Content field vape shows five nights a week, right here on the VP Live Network. Sunday, VP Live Radio with Kevin. Monday, Anti 90 with Raymond Grimm. Tuesday, the one and only Russ with Clickbang Radio. Wednesdays, of course, you have me. And Thursday nights, the lovely Jeannie K with a Jeannie K show. What's on tap today? A lot of stuff to talk about. The episode is titled Bridging the Gap. And I will explain what that means, trying to bring everybody together into this fight, some of the segments of the industry that we've kind of pushed away. Uh, we're also going to be talking uh, about uh, the webinar that I participated with, uh, uh, invited by White Cloud Electronic Cigarettes. Uh, how do we bring those non-enthusiasts into this advocacy fight? It's extremely important. Um, we think as a community that we are a huge group, but we're not. We're the loudest because we're passionate, we're enthusiasts, we're hobbyists, we're vapors. Um, so we see things maybe in a different eye than what the reality is with estimated numbers now of over 2 million people using electronic cigarettes in the U.S. Where are these people? Where are all these people to call us to action? Where are these people to take action in their states and the federal level? Nobody's reaching out to them. Nobody. So it leaves a small portion of the community, the loud portion of the community, those of us that think that we're millions and millions of masses, but that's not the truth, it leaves us, which out of that community that is left, only a very small portion advocate for the availability of electronic cigarettes in the future, which is unfortunate. Uh, but it is to be expected. You know, not everybody wants to go out there and fight, Nobody, not everybody wants to go in there and advocate. And I don't blame them. What we needed is broaden the community. Reach out to some of these segments, the dual users, the stick battery users, the guys that just vape to stay off cigarettes. Did we forget about those? The people that vape to stay off cigarettes? Because it seems like the community now has changed this into a hobby. Uh What else are we going to talk about? Um <clears throat> I'll, I'm going to recap a little bit my trip in Greece. Not a lot of vape stuff related, uh, but I did get to meet with Dr. Frasaginos a couple of times. I did go to the University of Patras, where most of the electronic cigarette research is being um, conducted. And um, I just had this idea. Um, I said, doctor, if I want something simple that shows, uh, for the short term, the immediate effect of electronic cigarettes on the lungs. So we did a little experiment uh, and um, just, you know, Nothing really planned. I had to go buy a pack of cigarettes, which was kind of odd for me, Uh, and and it felt a little bit dirty, I have to be honest. (laughs) So uh, I went and bought a pack of cigarettes, and uh, we did uh, a comparison uh, on eight puffs of tobacco cigarettes, four-second puffs uh, of, excuse me, two-second puffs on a a Marlboro tobacco cigarette, and then we did 20 four-second puffs of uh, of, uh, my sub-tank that I was using, uh, and we collected the vapor and the smoke in a glass fiber filter. Uh, I've documented the whole thing on video. I'm going to put a little video. I'm trying to find somebody that's going to help me with, uh, with this because I want to make it short and to the point, something that people can share to show the, um, the immediate effect that, that vaping has versus tobacco cigarettes. And it came out really, really good. But I need to cut it down a little bit because you know how the attention span is. We need to keep it short. So once I edit it, I'll put it up there. I put a little short video today on my my uh, Facebook page uh, and on Instagram uh, about, you know, the final results. So uh, it, was, it was really interesting. I always enjoy sitting and talking to Dr. F, and, uh, and uh, you know, he's one of my idols in this industry. He does so much. All right. Uh, also, we have a new segment uh, uh, starting the show today, and that is called State Law. And uh, and the reason why I'm doing this the segment is because legislation has changed in various states, and a lot of the vapors don't understand what's going on. Uh, we have various legislation that was passed this year, and a few that are still on the on the table now that might affect various states. So it's important for me to get out there the message of exactly what a new law that has been enacted uh, on electronic cigarettes. Uh, does, uh, not only for the vapors, but for the vendors, the manufacturers, and the distributors as well. So later on, I will have a special guest joining us, explaining the law in Texas that passed. Uh, So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. I do have a little temperature control rambling. I might get to it. I did. uh, I was a bit pissed. I was a bit pissed because, you know, temperature control there's not a lot of knowledge around temperature control i mean yeah we get it you have a wire you control the temperature and you know it reaches a certain temperature before you vaporize the liquid that's fine uh, however I'm a little bit pissed because the companies that are putting out these products uh, from China all the way to the wire manufacturers, we're talking about devices, temperature control devices, stainless steel wire, titanium wire, nickel wire. We have all these people putting out these products that people are inhaling. However, none of these companies have done any kind of a research or study to back up their product (laughs) to tell me to tell me that. That, hey, listen, you know, this is exactly what the device, how do we know as vapors, Phil Bissard said in one of his videos, it's not really temperature control, but it's temperature guessing, um, but how do we know that what we're getting is accurate? Because I can tell you, you know, I've taken a nickel coil, um, a pre-made nickel coil, uh, and put it on various devices, and I get various readings, uh, and Dr. F explained to me why this is happening, by the way. So I kind of got a little audio segment. It's about eight, nine minutes. I might play it for you uh, here in a little bit and uh, and just kind of ramble on it because I'm, I'm pretty upset. And, and, uh, and obviously, we're going to end uh, with, uh, with a couple of shout-outs that I have today. But first of all, bridging the gap. You know, CJ and Andy from the Vapor Trails have started this new channel. It's called Together Win or Lose if you want to subscribe to them on YouTube. They're good friends of mine, and I don't mind giving them a plug. They're trying to do something positive. And it's, it's even more special coming from these guys that had this party attitude and got this kind of like fuck it all attitude and had a really good, fun time building their business in the videos that they did. And you've seen a shift, especially in Andy. you have seen this shift trying to get everybody together. Uh, I'm going to play their latest because it's a short video, the latest uh, video. And, uh, and I'm going to come back and, and talk about it. The, the video is called The Biggest Problem in, uh, Is Us.
0: Where do we start? How do we change as vapors? The biggest problem is us ourselves. We're fighting against one another, whether it be local competition or be Facebook groups. Let's get real. If you have four groups on Facebook for one local market, we need to have one group with one message. There's a great group out there. And what happens is one person doesn't agree with another person's opinion. They go start their own group. And that separates us as vapors. This is a time that we cannot be separated. This is a time we need to be one. We have these vendors and we have these vapors and we all want to help. We all want to fight. How does that start? How does that end? Where do we go? Vendors. Vendors have the money. Vendors have the tools. They have the inventory. They have the ability to make connections. They have promotional material. They have everything that we need for this fight. But vendors lack the time. We're focused on our businesses, and rightfully so. This is America. We have to support our families. We have to take care of ourselves first and foremost. But that doesn't mean we don't want to fight. And on the flip side, you have the vapors. The vapors have no money. They spend their expendable income on our products. We shouldn't ask more of them. They work their jobs to pay their bills, and they're not in the vaping industry. They vape so they don't smoke. One thing that vapors do have is the time. They have the will. They have the knowledge in a lot of cases. And they have the ability to reach the smokers. Bridge this gap. Vendors, get kits to your vapors. Get these guys to bring you smokers. Get these guys to convert smokers that may never become customers for you. This isn't about customers anymore. This is about smokers and vapors. And if you give away a kit through an outlet, through the local vaping community. Do we really care if that person becomes a customer? Maybe we do. We're all businessmen. But should we really care? If that person is no longer smoking cigarettes, we won with that person. And we made the community feel great because they played an important role in that. And we're going to get into what do we do? What are the ideas? How do we do this? And we'll get there. But right now, Stop fighting, man. Communities get together. Vendors get together. If you have a shop across town, your competitor maybe, that's been there for multiple years and you've never even spoken a word to people, now's the time. Pick up the goddamn phone. Hey Joe, it's me from across town. I know we used to hate each other, but now's about time we love each other because we're not gonna win unless we're together. And there ain't gonna be no competition if none of us are in business anymore. So give me a call when you get this message, Joe. Click. And I guarantee you, your competitor, the guy that used to be your enemy, he's calling back. And he's calling back with ideas that he needs help enacting. We all need to get together. Customers aren't our customers. Customers are vapors, And if a customer goes to another shop because you got together with them to support vaping, is that really so bad? If you lose a $20 sale to the guy on the other side of town who's got the same mission and the same goal as you, then we win. We don't lose. $20 doesn't make or break us. Wake up. This isn't about the business. This isn't about the money. It's not about consumerism. It's about vapors versus smokers. And until there's no smokers and only vapors, we need to get along.
2: Yeah! That is my little Russ... Uh, exclamation point there in the end. Uh, and and this is a great message that Andy is trying to relay. However, uh, it is not a reality. It will not happen. Uh, in fact, instead of this happening, this unity happening, it is getting worse and worse and worse within the community, within the advocacy groups, within the people, within the vapors. It is getting worse and worse and worse. It will not fix this way. What we need to do What we need to do is separate those that want longevity in this industry. That's exactly what we need to do. You can't expect every shop, you can't expect every person to agree with the other one. It's just not going to happen. There's a lot of good out there. There's a lot of good in the community. But just like any other industry, there's a lot of bad. There's a lot of bad. Get to be vapors. Get to be shops. Get to be manufacturers. Get to be distributors. Get to be anybody within the industry. There's good and bad. Stop trying to bring everybody together. You're wasting your time. It's just not going to happen. Accept it. But focus your energy on trying to find the people, the manufacturers, the vendors, the shops, the vapors that are willing to fight. That's what we need to do. 20 bucks might not matter to you, Andy. It might not matter to me, but for some people it does, and that is their business plan. I have talked to a gentleman that has 16 stores in a state. I'm not going to call him out. The guy was honest with me. I said, you have 16 stores, 16 stores. Why don't you help the fight? Why don't you get involved? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when the FDA comes and shuts you down or a state, a state law that can put you out of business? His reply to me was very simple. Oh well, we'll move on to something else. You know, I didn't get mad. I didn't get mad at this guy cuz he was honest about it. That is his business plan. How can we get mad at it? do, do I support him? No. Do I personally want to accept it? No, but you have to give him credit. The guy's honest. It's like I'm banking now. If it goes down in flames, that's it. I'm gonna move on to something else. I mean, FastEch sells a variety of products, it's not just electronic cigarettes. I just saw the other day they were selling cockerings on Fast Tech. Did anybody know that? <laughs> that was that was pretty funny. But back to my point. Back to my point. My point is that we need to focus our energy to try to find the people that are willing to fight and get organized with those. Once again, you don't have to agree 100% with everything, but agree enough that we need to move ahead and we need to get organized to fight. Stop trying to pull every Tom, Dick, and Harry into this fight. It's actually counterproductive because if you do pull that guy into the fight, and I've seen this happen here locally in my state and in other states where I've helped Uh, smoke-free associations being formed, if you pull that guy, he comes in and he works against you. You know why? Because he doesn't like you. Because you did take that $20 sale away from them. Weed him out. Stop trying to bring these people, all of them together. It's just not going to happen. Focus on the ones that do want to do something about it. Speaking of wanting to do something about it, I was really surprised when White Cloud reached out to me and invited me to be on this panel. There were they started a, a new webinar called "E6 Demystified: The Science and Regulation of Electronic Cigarettes." I was pretty honored. In fact, <clears throat> I was on vacation in Greece uh, and still agreed out of my you know seventy seventies uh, tile kitchen to do to do the the episode because I thought it was really important. I thought it was really important for a company that like White Cloud that is not involved in the community. I mean, when's the last time you went into a vape meeting and you saw somebody using a White Cloud product, right? So um, I thought it was really important because they did reach out within the community and within the advocates of the vaping community, like Jeff Steyer and myself. They also had uh, on the the panel from uh, Tobacco Reporter and Vapor Voice Magazine, Timothy Donahue, which I've met various times at, at conferences. Uh, that he covers, mostly uh, TMA, I think I saw him, and up at the Spotted Conference in Chicago. I thought it was extremely important because here we go. This is a way to bridge the gap. I guarantee you that the White Cloud customers, and if you think you're big, let me tell you something. White Cloud is pretty big. You're doing $35, $40 million a year, you're pretty big. I guarantee you that the White Cloud customers had absolutely no clue most of this stuff was happening, whether it be, Local state or federal I Will put a Link into the uh, to the chat of the replay if you want to listen to the whole thing um, But this is this is the bet this is what I really enjoyed about this that we were able to reach that other segment and bridge that gap with the users That we don't see on Facebook as passionate vapors that we think that we're this this huge community, which we're not. It was a chance for me to share some of the knowledge, some of the advocacy with users that are not involved in every Facebook group that's on there. That don't watch passionately YouTube videos, that don't go to events, that don't know who Casa or Sfada or any of these other advocacy groups are. I see somebody questioning what, what they do. They, they, they do pretty well. But it's not just them. There's other companies out there like that. There's other companies that sell to vapors. They might not be vapors as you know them, but they are vapors for crying out loud. Why should we chastisize them? Why should we say, oh, you're using a white cloud electronic cigarette? Oh, man, fuck you. Because when we smoked, I don't know, when we smoked, did it bother us that I smoked Marlboro? Or natural American spirits, you know, towards the last five six years, which were very expensive. And then I looked at somebody smoking at Mavericks. Did I ever tell somebody, "Oh shit, man, you're you're vaping Mavericks? Weak. <laughs> Are those clone Marlboros? What the fuck? That never happened when we smoked. We need to reach out to those users and bring them in, and ex- at least educate them on what's going on. We need them in this fight." Passion is good, man. It's great. However, passion cannot beat the multi-million dollar lobbies that are set against us. That are clearly coming from the big tobacco companies. Bridge that gap. (laughs) That's a good one. You're smoking a Capri 100s. I even forgot about the Capris. (laughs) But we never did that as smokers why are we doing it now why are we pushing them away why are we pushing dual users away hell why are we pushing smokers away i don't want to get into that entire segment we try to cover most of it with phil and and zen on the last episode but why are we pushing smokers away by not catering to them not inviting them in help them make the transition and not be all about the gear or the juice or the atomizer or the dripper or what's hot and what's the newest, greatest sub ohm tank coming out of China. Bridge that gap. Bring the people in. Our database of users in the United States is huge. Where are they? In Alabama, 100 people showed up at the Capitol. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, that's great. Man, there's, there's, there can't be less than 10,000 people vaping in Alabama. I mean, I don't have the accurate facts. I'm just guessing. Instead of that courthouse or, excuse me, the Capitol being flooded with thousands of people. I mean, listen. Vaping saved our lives, right? We're all ex-smokers, right? Isn't that enough for you to fight? Where were they? And that's just an example. Look at every call to action that goes out there. Where is that other segment of Vapors? Why are we not bringing them in? Because, you know, frankly, we make fun of them. We push them away. We tell them their device is not sufficient. The company that they're buying their stuff is not one of the cool, hip companies. Their juice does not have a cartoon character on it. I don't know. Why can't we bridge that gap? We need to bring him in. I want to play something really quick here from this webinar that I found really, really interesting, not to change the subject, but, you know, Jeff Steyer, I I love this guy. Um, he He brought up a really great, important point on federal regulations, and it's something that I've been saying. We're focusing too much on the federal regulations right now, and we're not seeing what's happening state by state, and there's a lot of action happening state by state, but... He was asked a question about federal regulations from the panelist, and this was his response. Explanation, Jeff. Now, now
1: once these deeming regulations come into place, what are some of the avenues that basic advocates can take to continue the fight for ISIS? And
2: I apologize for the audio. This is not my fault, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, but even for me in Greece, I, you know, my connect, I have a DSL connection in Greece, but it was really, really, I had a difficult time hearing. There's a lot of choppiness, so it's not my fault. Uh, that's... that's-
3: a critical question and the way i see it you know everyone's been advocating and doing a great job on this issue for some time and everyone's uh, there's all this hype about the deeming regulations as if this proposed rule is the be all and end all and we've got to fight hard until they come out and then it's over that's wrong uh, i i'm an e-cigarette policy guy but you know, as a senior fellow at the National Center for Public Policy Research, I've been dealing with the topics for a long time, not just e-cigarettes, and I follow these issues on a range of topics. And this is not, not the end of... This has been a pregame. Everything until now was important, but it was pregame. It was preseason. Now the real season begins. When these deeming regulations come out, let's just say they don 't change the grandfather date, then what do we are we just we got two years left? No, there are lots of avenues, whether it's litigation that industry gets involved in, uh, whether it's public pressure on the hC to revise them, whether it's pressure on the White House to uh, have the Office of Management and Budget understand uh, why there's a problem with this, but perhaps most accessible to the public is helping Congress understand why the FDA thinks that they their hands about this grandfather date and change the law. And let's untie the FDA's hands in its own mind that thinks it must implement this grandfather date and make Congress change the law. That has been something that's been talked about. There's a bill introduced that would do that, but most members of Congress are paying attention to other things and the feedback that I've heard from members of Congress who might be open to changing the law, to change the grandfather date to a more reasonable, forward-looking one, is this is not ripe yet. The issue isn't ripe. It's not time for us to change the law. We don't know how badly it's being implemented. Well, let me tell you, if the deeming regulation comes out with the grandfather date, but have the effect of getting most of the products off the market, It's your job to tell your member of Congress this issue is right.
2: And see, I love the way that Jeff put it there. He really explained it to me. And I've had this private conversation with him multiple times. I find it really hard to believe that the FDA can come out with a rule. I mean, they've already been delayed since they announced that we're going to do it in June. But I find it really hard for the FDA to come out with a rule in early September or, or fall sometime where I expect it to drop, um, come out with a rule that is going to be so drastic and so detailed uh, because simply they can't do it. The product is too complicated and too diverse for them to dump all of this into one action. How bad the action will be, I really don't know. I, I mean, I, I wish I knew to tell you. But whatever it's going to be, it's going to be a longitude of of rulemaking. As the the federal regulations come across, it will take some time for them to fine-tune it when it comes to manufacturing, packaging, distribution, use. I mean, there's so many things that the FDA just can't simply drop down. And guess what? States know that. <laughs> the states know that. And you know who else knows that? The big tobacco companies know that. That's why I spent my segment, and I highly suggest that you listen to the replay. This is just about an hour long. Um, and in my segment, I try to focus simply on state legislation because the states see the FDA taking their time with this. And trust me, the FDA has to get it right. As Jeff mentioned, there'll be litigation, there'll be people pressuring Congress, the industry is large right now, it's going to be an uphill fight for them. But what happens if the states say, well, fuck that, I'm not waiting for the FDA, (laughs) we're losing money and we're losing money now, the big tobacco companies are saying we're losing money and we're losing it now, so what do they do? They enact state legislation that disrupts the distribution of the product. So it is extremely important for us to focus on state legislation now. Well, shit, we should have done a couple of years ago, to be honest with you. But now it's extremely important for these states to avoid what is happening in Arkansas and Indiana, taxation in D.C., down in uh, Louisiana. All these, these states are passing these laws, and more will come this year. Talking to our lobbyists here in Tennessee, they are meeting with the RJR people this week, and I will know exactly what's coming to Tennessee, but that is what a proactive stance is. I know ahead of time what RJR is going to bring to Tennessee, and we'll be ready to fight it. But there is bad stuff coming here, including taxation. It's one way of the big tobacco companies to create regulation to benefit them, and it's another way for the states to create regulations To keep their cash registers coming from the MSA, from the Master Settlement Agreement, and from the tobacco taxes. So I like the way that Jeff put it. And it's something that I think that a lot of the white cloud customers probably didn't know. So let's not shift all of our focus to the FDA. And there's a lot of big boys out there ready to handle that when it comes. Let's shift our focus to state legislation. Also, the CEO of White Cloud made an appearance and he talked about some studies that their companies have done. It was it's a really, really interesting webinar. And I wanna see more of this happen. They said they're gonna they're gonna continue this series and they're gonna invite I hope they invite more advocates from the community and more knowledgeable people to, to, to spread the wealth of information. And I hope more of us reach out to some of these other companies as well too. Let's reach out to some of these other companies, trying to get them on board and try to educate their consumers as well too. 347-308-8329, press 1 if you have any questions or comments during tonight's broadcast. Of course, you can tweet me at VapingGreek, hashtag competition, smoke-free radio. By the way, when we smoked, were we sponsored by anyone? I don't remember. Uh, I don't think I was. I think the only thing I was sponsoring was their their pockets for 23 years. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go ahead and bring my guest. She's been waiting patiently on Skype. We're going to talk about, uh, to talk about state law, and I want to break this down. I'm going to do this in the next, uh, I don't know, next 10 episodes, trying to bring uh, somebody in to talk about the various states and the law uh, as it's been you know voted through and know exactly what you're dealing with when it, when it comes to, to state legislation. So today, joining me, All the way from Texas is Shell Hamill. She is the owner of the Vapor Bar and the president of the Texas Svara chapter. Hello. Hello. Hey, Shell. How are you doing? Can you hear me? I'm good. Yes. What are you doing? Are you cooking? I mean, we're supposed to be on a radio show. (laughs) I was trying to close the door. (laughs) So, uh, thanks thanks for joining. This is your first time on Smoke Free Radio, by the way, isn't it? It is so. Thanks for joining us here tonight. As I mentioned earlier, uh, we're trying to to uh, reach out to these states and see some of these bills that have been enacted. And obviously, SB ninety seven in your state uh, passed this year. But before we get to the bill itself, let's backtrack a little bit. Okay, uh, you are the president of the Svara chapter there in Texas, and you got organized. You have a good vendor base that supported the the movement. How did it all get started? How did you get to the point before the bill even hit the floor?
1: Well, I actually was told to find a lobbyist, and so when we were talking to Safada at national level, we were trying to, um, you know what, Demetrius, hang on just a second, I've got to turn you off on the other side, because you are coming in my ear, hang on.
2: Yeah, just mute the, mute the show, there we go, nope, I can see here, there's a little bar up there that says Mute. You got it? Got it. Right, Phew! Go
1: that was uh, very confusing. That's so, right. right. they told us to go look for uh, a lobbyist. They had a couple of lobbyists in mind, and we were... We were looking at them, and we were interviewing them, and uh, we went out on our own. I actually knew a couple of lobbyists that had really good reputations here in Texas, so we interviewed those as well, and uh, brought those to all the members, and they voted on the one that I had known outside of uh, the federal level or or what have you, and and we started from there. We actually, uh, Greg Conley actually called me the night before the very first hearing and said, hey, did you know that there is a hearing? I had no clue. And uh, I said, you know what? I'll go. So I jumped in my car the next morning and ran down there, met with Kathy, and we went to Henejos' office prior to them going to the floor. Mm -hmm. And this was actually my very first time to ever go at a state level, we had done some local, you know, different city council meetings or what have you, but we had never been at a state level. So now,
2: now at this point, I mean, you, you, you own multiple stores in Texas. I mean, you're, you're in, you're invested heavily into this. Right. Right. And, and, and at the, at what point did you realize, you know, hey, we need some government affairs here? I mean, it's, it's, uh, is, is it something that crossed your mind when you were building the business or you were so, just so busy? you Because know, this happens a lot to business owners, right? You get so so focused on, on your stores and, and growth and keeping, you know, I mean, it's, it's crazy that you have so many responsibilities. And sometimes we just, it never crosses our mind.
1: Right. It didn't really cross my mind until we started having city council meetings uh, regarding vaping in public. And... That is when it really, you know, it all came to fruition. As a matter of fact, Frisco, one of our stores is in Frisco, and Frisco, Texas was one of the very first cities across the nation that had a public ban. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was a tough one. It was a really tough one. I went back and forth and emailed them several times after we appeared there. And it, uh, it, was a, it was a really tough one when we had a lot of people just walking through the mall and blowing it everywhere.
2: All right, so let's talk about... You you, you you get you start this chapter, you get vendors on board How, what was the response initially I mean when you reached out and tried to bring these people together
1: uh, you know initially um Keith did a lot of that. he took on a lot of that role, and it was tough it was really tough, and a lot of people said, oh yeah we'll do something, but no one ever you know they wouldn't come a lot of them wouldn't come so it was uh, it was really tough in the beginning to get them to Come on board, but slowly but surely we have. Uh, I think we have over ninety members now.
2: Now, ninety members sounds like it's a lot of people, but <laughs> but in your state, where I think it's number three or number four uh, on the list of states uh, as far as the vaping stores, vaping uh, manufacturers, uh, distributors, and vapors. <laughs> I, think, I think I think you're in the top three for sure, top three or four. Okay, so ninety stores sounds like like it's a lot. But, I mean, in reality, it's really a sad representation of the industry.
1: It, it really is. We have hundreds upon hundreds. They're on every street corner. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a small number compared to the shops.
2: So um, you got these members together, and, uh, and you, you, you began the act of trying to, to fight this bill. Uh, f- who brought this bill to the floor? Hinojosa. And uh, do you did you do any background? Did you see if this was uh, like RGR or somebody else that was behind it? How did they, they just come up to, to to bring this bill for, for vote?
1: Well, I, I believe it was Hinojosa himself. Um, he has a, a, a hate for anyone smoking, and and he has shown that um, in past. Alvarado is. Um, one that also brought this to the to the floor because she was part of the smoking ban years and years ago. Um, so he's, um, he, you know, he he doesn't. It, it's not that he hates smokers. He hates the smoking atmosphere and the environment. Mm-hmm. And so he's just, uh, you know, he, he's a, he's a tough one too.
2: Really tough. Yeah, one. but some of the language in the bill, I mean, some of the language in the bill is really, it, it kind of looks like it's. it was coached, you know? I mean, <laughs> it, it looks like somebody else is behind it for sure. I mean, there's got to be some people behind him that are pulling these strings.
1: I don't, I mean, I don't doubt that. I, they were definitely all around the Capitol building. I believe that uh, Altria had 16 lobbyists um, in the state of Texas alone. And RJR was definitely there. They had been at a couple of meetings we were at. So um, they were in there. Was it was it uh, you know i really can't say i don't think that they would ever uh uh say that they did either well
2: so. this bill really doesn't affect them so i can i can i can pretty much assure you that they had a hand in at least drafting some of this bill so so sb 97 hits tell us first the initial structure I mean, briefly you know why the bill was bad for the industry
1: so the bill was extremely bad, as a matter of fact. Um, it, it grew as it came along because it was the, uh, the companion bill was meant to be Alvarado's, which was 34 pages long. Mm-hmm. Um, it included uh, certification. It included the fire marshal to battery stamp or stamp all the batteries, to stamp all of the atomizers, to approve all the batteries. It was absolutely unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, when Hinojosa started, it was, um, you know, taxation on advertising, taxation alone. It was, um, you name it, it was was really in there. So it was a smoking ban. It was, uh, um, I can't remember exactly what his was. I don't know what it turned into, though, with Alvarado, which was 34 pages long.
2: So you get this bill in your hands, and how did the process go? I mean, did you work with rest? How, how, how do you start dissecting it and, and trying to find the pieces that are extremely harmful, trying to remove them out? Just kind of walk us through that process of how you took that bill and, and where it got to, to uh, become uh, an actual bill in the state.
1: Well, at first, we had to work with Hinojosa because Alvarado's was not introduced yet. So we worked with Hinojosa in the beginning before he even went on the floor for a committee substitute. We told him our issues, and I believe at that time it was four issues. It was the advertising. It was the um, having a smoke shop within uh, so many miles of a school or church and, and things of that nature. So they came back to us immediately and said, we're going to take these two off right now. And um, after that, you know, we will work with you on these. Mm -hmm. And we said, okay, we will do that. They said, you go on, you support us, you come back in here, we will work with you on these. Mm -hmm. So that's exactly what we did. Started there um, and then started tapping away at it little by little. Later on, Alvarado's came out. We started, we sat there with her. We sat there with the comptroller. Um, We sat there with um, Altria you name it, we were we were all at the table, and uh, we just chipped away at it little by little.
2: So it's kind of like making a deal with the devil at this point, right?
1: <laughs> it was, you know, when you when you hear the reputation that these guys have, especially Hinojosa. I don't I don't know of one bill that that man can't get through, and he doesn't just get through. He rockets it through. So, you know, the Senate, when you're talking about the Senate floor, the Senate, they are all, um, you know, you don't tell them, they don't tell each other their baby's ugly. So if it gets through the committee, it's coming through. It's just the way it is. So you have to start positioning yourself to make sure that it's as least harmful as it can be by the time that it gets to the end. And that's exactly what we tried to do.
2: 347 press one if you have any questions or comments on the Texas bill. So I guess you get this bill, you start dissecting, you start to work with, with some of the – did you get any support from others uh, in, in, in the Capitol? Did you, get, did you have any people that were on your side?
1: You know, that's that's where I get a little confused because we did have some support. We had a couple of, of uh, uh, representatives that came out with some bills that were, were not bad. They were good bills. The problem is, was the politics behind it. And you learn a lot of that within the Capitol building, you know, what representative is friends with another one and and what their agenda is. Mm -hmm. And it may not be that their agenda really is to get that bill through. It may be that their agenda is just to piss the other one off. (laughs) And you learn this cohesively as a group as you go. And then you also learn which one is going to go. You realize which bill is going to pass no matter what. And you have to be behind it or it will pass and none of your language will be in there.
2: Yeah, see, I've seen that, but I think. Do you think that maybe you're a little bit? Uh, I'm not talking about you uh, personally, but I'm saying the the industry in Texas. Do you think you're a little bit maybe late to the game with that?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think every one of us were late to the so, game. I, I think a, that
2: again, what I'm what I'm trying to get at, and this is par- partially of educating other states as well too on, on not to make the same mistakes, is a bill usually gets born in an office somewhere right and then and then you know the representatives looks for support uh, just like it happened here in Tennessee. A taxation bill did come across one of our uh, elected officials last year in, here in Tennessee, and then it got squashed immediately. You know, we knew this was happening, right? So there, there were people in place that said, listen, we're not going to do this. We're going to vote for this. This is Tennessee, obviously. Um, so it's a little bit harder to pass tax bills and stuff like that, but we knew ahead of time. But we had the, the tools in place. We had we had the team in place to find out this kind of stuff. So if you if you had organized as a group, uh, get be a swada chapter or whatever group was started in in, in Texas if you're organized ahead of time, you would have caught maybe a, a lot of a lot of the blunt force that this bill had.
1: I think you're right. I think that one of the things that was most important was the lobbyist that we chose. Because of her relationships, we learned very quickly who was going to be our advocate and who was not, who was going to be pushing back pretty hard. Um, Crownover, uh, who was the, the committee um, lead there uh, in the House, she actually, you know, we thought she was going to be one of those that was going to be really tough because her husband died of lung cancer. So that was a very tough sell. Mm-hmm. But... She really was very intuitive and understanding about um, maybe avenues for smokers because, you know, coming from that type of background, she would be a little bit more um, understanding, and she was. So you you learned a little bit as you went along, and we started with 18 members, but as the members started coming on, there were some key, key people that really jumped in and tried to help.
2: You can mention some of these people. I mean, there's nothing else. I, I I support people being called out for doing the right thing, just like I do. You know, with, with the bad stuff. But sometimes we focus a lot on the negative, and we focus a lot on the bad stuff that we forget to give credit to the people that did step
1: up. Exactly. And I mean, you had Frank, you had Keith, you had Judy, you had Chris, uh, Sparky, and Gary. All of those guys. They were they were really supportive, and we did it the right way. We went in, and every time that. You know, the, the senators or representatives would come back to me or Frank at the table and say, you know what, we're going to do this, and this is all we can do. We would go back to the members and go, guys, what do you think? And we would get a vote. We did it as collectively as a group, and then one person or two people would go and, and respond. And, and we did it right. How did many it time, as best we could. How many times did you want to give up? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was um, – this was I, was, I would say that was probably the most stressful because we had some key players that were um, working towards other bills, but we knew the bills weren't going to move. And it was a very hard sell for our group because we can jump on this bandwagon, but if that bill doesn't move, it does us no good. Yeah. It was very tough.
2: So, okay, let's get a little bit further deeper into the bill now. So you made some changes in the initial bill. What was the next step?
1: So we made the changes to the initial bill. We we actually came to a head. We sat there and, you know, we're sitting in front of with the chief of staff of, of Hinojosa and Alvarado. And the question was, we have signature on delivery. They had it inside the bill. And that was our big fight. And I said, absolutely not. We have 84. We had 84 members at the time. 84 members are not going to sign on this bill. It's just not going to happen. So learning from the comptroller what what really was the issue. The issue was, you know, people aren't paying their sales tax. They're selling out of their garage. They're not paying their sales tax. That was really the issue. Mm -hmm. That was the end result. And we said, I said, I can't help you. I don't know how to help you except to tell you that they are not going to sign this bill with signature on delivery on it. So we wrote some language in there that let the the comptroller know that we are going to, you know, we're going to pay our sales tax, but we don't need the signature on delivery. And when they're staring at you going, you know, if a child, what if a child signs for it at the door? How can you keep that from happening? You know, we can't, but... That's not the real issue here. The real issue is that you want your sales tax. So we wrote in there this language, which basically says that if a shop owner has done their due diligence to find out that the person is 18 before and and gathered all the documentation, then they don't have to get signature on delivery. And the reason why is because the comptroller can walk in physically to that location, check and make sure you have your paperwork and know that you're doing your due diligence. And then... You are off the hook from signature on delivery. Yeah, that was the tough one.
2: It, it is a tough one. And even the way that it's worded now, it's a little bit tough for me to digest. But you fought the initial one. You got this change that everybody could agree with, right?
1: Right.
2: And, and what was the other issues that you worked on as well, too? Because that, that one was a tough one to swallow.
1: That was, that was a really tough one. The other ones that were uh, tough were, was the um, having a vape shop within uh, so many feet of a school or church. That was a tough one, too. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we finally got that one thrown out, too.
2: All right. So we get to the, to the final version of the bill. Uh, then there was a little bit of confusion in Texas, I have to admit, between the various <laughs> groups. Nobody knew what the hell was going on, including right. me. Uh, I have a lot, a lot, a lot of friends in Texas. And everybody's calling me from these different, you know, groups in these different positions, and they're saying this, everybody's saying that. So let's walk a little bit through the confusion before we get to the final bill uh, before it was signed.
1: You what know, was the, the Here's the thing is that we were trying to explain it to everyone, and I, they, they didn't want to be part of a group. Nobody wanted to be part of a group and work together every wanted to everybody wanted to fight against each other and you know we 're trying to welcome them into it and that's that 's the biggest issue and so some of the lines got crossed. There were other people that were trying to give the law to other people when they didn't they didn 't know what the law was, so it got very uh, very confusing there at the end. Um, I did my best trying to put out videos, trying to put out paperwork, things like that, and, and get those those sent around, whether it be social media or, or through email. And uh, that's kind of where the confusion ended up. I think it was egos. I really do.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> but you know this this goes back to what I was saying earlier when I started the show and I talked about bridging the gap and and Andy's and CJ's videos where he's talking about we need to bring everybody together. What's well, impossible. It is it is impossible to bring this industry together. There there are a lot of egos. There are a lot of financial losses or gains. Uh, and simply, there's a lot of people out there that just don't like other people as well, too. Uh, and that's affecting law, which is sad. It's, it's pitiful, to be honest with you. But that is the truth. That's why I believe it's better to focus on the ones that are willing to do something and, and, and just don't, you know... Uh, fuck it, you know, I mean, if you don't want to help. There's nothing I can do about it. You know, there's no reason getting mad or getting pissed off about it because that's it's going to be counterproductive. And I think that happened in Texas towards the end there. I thought there was a lot of counterproductivity from the various groups.
1: You know, you're exactly right. And I'll tell you, I give kudos to our group because we worked so cohesively and made sure that everybody was included in calls. I mean, we had uh, big, big web calls once a week telling everybody what was happening, asking them, you know, what their input was, what do you want to see, you know, and, and doing that as a group. And all they had to do was just come into the group. And it was it was very strange. I didn't understand it.
2: Uh, all right, so let's get to the bill as it finally ended up and it got voted. Let's talk about some of the changes. Uh, if you if you want to go one by one, that's fine. Uh, some of the changes that are affecting vapors, obviously, uh, vape shops and uh, and uh, online sales and distribution.
1: Okay, so consumers, basically, you're going to have to have age verification when you go into a shop, um, making sure that, uh, you know, if you, if you look Under 27, you're going to have to show ID. Um, Nothing wrong with that. I mean, that should be standardized in our industry anyway, right? Absolutely. For uh, the vape shop owner, owner the age verification in the store, they have to verify age, 27 years or younger. And... As a defense, if they have an age verification scanner, which within our group, we, we sent out orders, you know, to where we could do get a group discount. But if anybody wants the information, they can definitely get in touch with me and I can tell them the, uh, the company that we got our age scanners from but that is a defense if somebody walks into your shop and they give you fraudulent information as long as you have scanned their device and the police can show Mm -hmm. you know and see that you have scanned through that device then that is a defense
2: does that happen at sea stores or gas stations
1: uh you know what i don't think i don't know if it does or not i've never seen them do it no yeah
2: see that that bugs me as well too that that's bugs interesting. Me. It, it bugs me because you can go into a gas station and buy a pack of cigarettes, and you don't have to f- face the same the, the, the same law. Basically.
1: You know, I think it is in the law. I think it actually is in the law that it it is as a defense. Whether they put that in place, they don't have to do it. So you know, I don't know. Okay. that's interesting.
2: All right, so uh, okay, that's uh, they, We have age verification for the user, and obviously the vape shop owner. What else?
1: Right. So then you have public usage. So for the consumer, um, it's an offense if they operate an electronic cigarette in a facility of a primary or public – any public schools whatsoever, primary or secondary school, an elevator, enclosed theater, a movie house, library, museum, hospital, transit system, bus, interstate bus, plane, or train.
2: Okay. I can live with that. Okay. I mean, I stealth vape everywhere. It doesn't make a difference to me, really. But, but,
1: but all I'm saying is
2: that, you know, that's, that's not a bad thing, especially with some of the events that are happening lately. Move on.
1: Correct. All right. So the next one is child-resistant caps. Okay. So these child-resistant caps are standard for the FDA. We made sure that we put the language in there for the mm-hmm. FDA so that when that comes down, it will all be kind of seamless. But they are the 16 CFR, Section 1700-type um, caps, uh, that that are in the uh,
2: CFR pretty standard that's what we got here in Tennessee this year and actually a vendor argued with me about it <laughs> they didn't want to have them anyway wow. yeah 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 Just welcome to my life <laughs> so the, the CRC uh, I mean the, the CRC cap uh rule in my opinion it's going to be a federal law soon so why not have it I mean I think that's something that we can volunteer and actually act in a state like we did here in Tennessee or we're giving you this you know, we're, we're doing you a favor because we're agreeing exactly. to this, right? Uh, and that's the way that we played it off. But I think it's something that should be standardized. We are selling nicotine. It is, a, a, you know, a, a substance, a chemical substance, and it should have it on there. Uh, all right. What's next?
1: Exactly. All right. Online sales. So, online sales was the biggie. That was yeah. the big one. Yeah. That was the big issue. So, online sales. So, it, it does get a little convoluted. Let me help a little bit to explain it. So, basically, you have to, first of all, you have to register your business, if you have a business, with the Texas Comptroller's Office. Mm-hmm. You have to make so, sure, hold on, hold on. and I the, made sure that, go ahead. The,
2: the registering your business, uh, is, are there any fees included in that?
1: That, no, none, okay. none that I know of, okay. no. Just make sure that they know where you are and okay. where to find you, online or, or vape shop, either one. Um, after that, you need to obtain, and I made sure that we wrote this language in there. In the beginning, they had that you need to use an online age verification source so some type of software that you can put and integrate into your system that will verify the age and the address match and that that person is over 18. Um, but I did have them write in there that you can have a driver's license or a state ID or a government-issued ID faxed w- to the facility so that these smaller shops didn't have to pay those astronomical fees for these online verification software uh, forums. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to obtain a written statement. Now, this uh, under Texas law, a written statement a digital signature is acceptable as a signature. So, you have to get a written statement signed by the prospective purchaser under penalty of law, serv- certifying their address and their date of birth. That can be by a check mark, anything like that. If you want to do a digital type uh, verification, as far as signature goes, that's a little bit
2: confusing to me. Can we break it down a little bit easier for people to understand? I mean. So, the person that is purchasing from an online supplier in Texas they does that mean the this the, you have to live in Texas or anywhere in the United States
1: It is this law is only for Texas okay so um, if you are purchasing from another state, the Texas shop has to get this on everybody, okay. regardless of state, but anyone out of state purchasing Anyone, anyone purchasing from Texas – let's see. Sorry. Backwards. Anyone from Texas purchasing from someone else does not have to do this.
2: That doesn't make any sense.
1: It, it, I, I, I fought this many times, that we need a federal law. They need to stay out of this. It's a federal law. It's a federal law. They didn't hear me. So.
2: Well, I mean, I know they didn't hear you, but how about your lobbyist?
1: They didn't hear her either. They were Fire determined. <laughs> they were determined. To make sure that online verification went through. Yeah, but it doesn't
2: make any sense. I mean, this is something that's completely arguable, especially in a court. I mean, you, how do you
3: –
2: you're only forcing one segment to do that when you have another You go person. in
1: front of these guys and tell them that there is absolutely no reason to verify age for a child online to buy these, and you will come up against a brick wall. It's not what, what basis do we have to stand on.
2: No, I, no I, I get it. I get it. But if, if you're going to do it, you have to do it
1: across the board. I agree.
2: Absolutely. I, mean, I agree. I said that. Yeah. You, can, you can't just do it for a certain segment.
1: I stood in front of the hearing, actually, on camera and said, until this is a federal law, it's not going to fix anything. They'll buy from another state. End of story. And they, st- <laughs> they still didn't hear me.
2: <laughs> did, uh, did it, I know you sell online. Did that affect your sales?
1: It is not thus far. It I mean, how, did you, how you did you
2: handle it? it with your customer, your consumers, the ones that had to sign <laughs> the digital signature? Well,
1: but- the way you do it is basically when they, and you only have to do it once. So once they sign up with an account, they sign that, that form or, put, or they click the checkbox that's in the, in the right before they press submit. And they click the checkbox that says, I verify that I am over the age of 18 and I live at this address, blah, blah, blah. And they click that checkbox and they only have to do it once for their account. So, I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Moving along. <laughs> and it is what it is. So. But they have to have that on the form. If they have an account, they can do it once. If they choose to go as a guest, they have to do it every time, of Mm -hmm. course. But if they do an account, they only have to do it once. Okay. Um, Last thing is make sure that the credit card being used matches the individual's address and name. Most credit card companies do this already. Mm -hmm. Um, However, the age verification software does that as well. Um, And then if you were going to be doing these you know by fax or or email or some type of uh system like that then you just need to verify that the address matches the credit card that's on file all
2: right so this is basically in short the sb 97 that that actually got passed in texas right correct so the 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 bill became a law and uh (laughs) what was the response afterwards because again After it became a law, there's a lot of confusion again. It's like some people were celebrating, some people were pissed off, some people were booing. (laughs) What the hell happened?
1: Well, it's interesting because national level from the other states, they were very upset because the signature on delivery – if you're not a Texas shop, the signature on delivery should apply per Texas law. So if you sell to someone inside the state of Texas, you have to get get signature on delivery. That's what the law says. Now – on the comptroller's own admission there's no way for them to absolutely uh, none. they can't check it absolutely not they cannot check it absolutely not and that's what we said but they can't put that in the law that says everybody outside of the state doesn't have to worry about this so it it, they had to put it in there for legal purposes but they you know it's not it's not verifiable they can't verify that um but you know and they and they were they were upset because some of these larger companies they're kind of bound by law they're going to do it anyway regardless of whether they can verify it or not and they were a little upset but they had not been in this situation with us throughout the whole time and noticed this 34-page bill, you know, where they're wanting to have the fire marshal verify and stamp every battery and approve it before it's being sold. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, where we came from... And hey, where hey, we ended some, up, some or of just, these
2: bad batteries that are out there. I kind of agree with.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but can you imagine every vape shop would shut kidding. down because this poor fire marshal is going to be stuck with batteries all over his office, trying to figure out which ones good and which ones bad. I hear you. I hear you. Insane. Yeah. So. You know, they, there was a lot of confusion. And like I said, they didn't understand where we'd come from and how, many, how much we had fought and fought. I mean, I was there every week. I was there every single week at the table, hammering and hammering. And I don't even live there. I mean, I live two and a half hours away. So it was, um, it was daunting.
2: Yeah, but I mean, to protect your business, you have to do this.
1: You do, you do, and, and, and we did it. We did it as a group. There were a lot of people who did a lot of driving. There were a lot of people who did a lot of a lot of work, and and, and I, I'm really proud of them. I really am. So that was the uh, that was the in Texas. Everybody was elated because they knew where we'd come from and where we'd where we'd ended up. So they were so they were very, um, they were very uh, very good. Very, they were very happy with it, yeah. you know, and what we ended up with. Outside of Texas, not so much.
2: Okay, so now we're post bill. I mean, have have anything that has passed on the bill affected businesses? Have you heard anybody uh, that that's affected their business or their day to day operations?
1: No, not yet. I mean, it, it doesn't go into effect until October first, so I'll know a little bit more then. But as it is right now, we had to buy a, a you know, if you wanted to have the defense, you had to buy the scanner. We made it as financially as least financially burdensome on everyone, consumers and vendors, as we possibly could. So financial impact is, if you want to, you can buy a scanner, Um, but there is no financial impact if you have driver's license faxed to you or whatever. So there's no financial impact, and that was the biggest issue.
2: How about the perception, though, of the product among smokers in the state?
1: that 's a good question i don 't think that the perception has changed because all of these things that you 're talking about that are in this bill are to protect the children mm-hmm. and they, they really are you't um, you can 't uh, argue them one way or the other um, when it comes to that. Of course, are there some you know unrelated issues that are uh, that are put with us absolutely you know Comptroller and and taxes and stuff like that but they're in the guise to protect the children. And so I think that everybody was – I think it was just – I think that they thought it was coming anyway.
2: Did you notice anything in the bill? Because this is something that a lot of us don't pay attention to. Uh, like in Arkansas, where where, where people are making uh, making it like it's a good thing now, but uh, you have to get a license from the tobacco and firearms, which is not a good thing because that just opens up the door for them next year to come and say, hey, hold on a second there. You're a tobacco product now. We need to tax you. But did you notice anything in the language on this bill that can come back in the next legislature? I know you have a legislation there every two years. Um, right. But d- did you notice anything that come back and, and – um, And and hurt the industry?
1: We did. And we actually put language in there to protect that from happening. So there were a couple of things where they had referenced an old taxation, and and it was was in the bill, and it said that uh, it referenced this subsection, which is the taxation. And we said, nope, take that out. So we did notice that and called attention to that every time, got every one of them taken out. I think there were about three or four of them.
2: Do you have uh, the lobbyist uh, retained year round, uh, or after the bill, this was kind of you know things kind of just fell apart?
1: We're trying to. We are. Yeah. We're trying to. Um, she and I have become very close, and so uh, I think that she that's, will that's against continue. The rules, by the
2: way, you know, coll- do it collusion with your representative is not that's not that's not a good thing. You need to stop that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she's great. I'm come, telling you. Come she's back a great, and haunt you. She's a great guy. <laughs> I mean, really. Don't take her out to there, dinner she, and
2: stuff like that. I'll come back and haunt you. Trust me.
1: <laughs> I don't know. So far, she's been pretty good. And she's one of those just down to earth, you know, easygoing individuals. And uh, she'll take you in there and, and sit you down with all of them if she needs to. But she is um, I, she's on board to help us from this point on. So she she had fought some tobacco laws prior to. So she's she's kind of used to this kind of fight. So
2: what is the what is the hold? Of? I mean, why can't you have, especially in a big state like Texas, in my opinion, and I think every state should be this way, but especially Texas and California, some of these big states, you should have legal representation year round. And it's not <laughs> that expensive to maintain them. you know, especially during a dead session. I mean, you have to pay them, obviously. But a lot of the stuff, uh, a lot of the bad stuff happens in the off season. You know, I mean, a lot of the trades and a lot of the deals and a lot of the action happens in the off season so what is the hold of why can't we keep why can't you keep this 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 gal on board year-round
1: money that is exactly what it boils down to it boils down to money and people in uh, you know in the industry and I'm going to say can't won't commit you know, it's, it's very tough. It is tough to get money out of these people or to get action out of them. Or, I mean, there's some of them that came to the table with a lot and really helped out a ton. And there's some of them that are big names that did nothing. Absolutely zip. So, I mean, when it comes down to it, it comes down to money.
2: What is, what is, uh, what is your cost year-round? What does
1: it, it cost? For that, just for the session for us was 35000 So you go past that, I mean, you you can get a good lobbyist for fifty five thousand.
2: Yeah, that's that's what I'm guessing fifty sixty thousand a year.
1: Right for the whole year. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's ridiculous. Right. I I mean, the amount
2: the amount, in my opinion, is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I agree. If but that's what they get.
2: If you can't get some of these vendors in Texas, and some of the biggest names in vaping are in Texas, if you can't get a, a sixty grand a year, I mean, you should get a million a year, to be honest with you. You should have really some, some big ball lobbyists over there fighting for you guys. But I mean, if you can't get sixty thousand a year, just close up shop. Just move. If, go, go to another state. I mean, I don't want to terrible. tell you. It's, it's horrible. terrible.
1: We've got some big names in Texas, okay? I'm a small guy. And I had to promise the remainder of her amount just to let us get through and and sign the contract and go because we were having a hard time it was bad it was really bad I mean we have some big names here nothing
2: and and it's and it's not and it's not good for one or two companies just to step up and pay it it's not good and I ran into the situation in another state that I visited before my vacation where one of the companies stood up and said oh we're gonna take care of this we'll pay this you know amount but that's not good it should be fair and square against the people that are within the group to, to spread this out evenly so everybody can have a voice on the table.
1: I agree. And you can't
2: expect a guy to come to the table and say, hey, you know, I'm going to put in, you know, half this money. Then they're going to have demands afterwards. And as a business owner, you should understand that. Don't think to yourself, as I've heard other people say, oh, he's going to foot the bill. He's the big guy. Yeah, yeah. He's gonna put. It's not gonna cost you anything now, but that big guy can influence legislation that's gonna benefit his business model. And guess what? His business model might not be the same as your business model. Exactly. So within the industry, you'll see bills that are benefiting just a few companies, and that's not a good thing.
1: That's very true. I mean, it happened in a couple states, actually. Yep, sure did. But you know, it, it. In the end, the ones that we had. They were they were amazing. They came to they came to the table with us. They helped every. You had small shops that were contributing, and and we knew they didn't have it. They were new, but by golly, they were in there contributing. So to all of them, you know, God bless them because they did a great job, and we we all together did a great job. And you know, did they get to a benefit from our? our you know fight absolutely but we did too so you know in the end we did what we needed to do it should be it should be more than that
2: you know it should be a year-round thing reaching out to your legislators through a group through an organizer through a a chapter should be year-round you need to be able to have this contact with the people that are making the laws year round, not just when the bill hits the floor it's too late then you know what I mean you have to continue that relationship and, and and your industry be known and attend these dinners and attend these these benefits and attend these these fundraisers it, that's what groups should do in every state because guess what in that meeting in that birthday party in that dinner there's Lobbyists from Altria, there's lobbyists from RGR. I'm shaking my hands, by the way. This is a Greek thing. I'm talking. I'm shaking my hands. <laughs> so there's there's people in that those meetings that are influencing the
1: legislators without you even knowing. Yep, it's exactly true. We had, I mean, we actually had one of them stand there and say, nope, we want to shut them all down." Yeah. <laughs> well, lovely. I mean, yeah. Let's just say it like it is. Well, I mean, that's the truth.
2: I mean, I, there's nothing wrong with it. That's what they get paid for
1: that is true but we and should that's pay exactly our what guys
2: they we should pay our guys the same thing we should pay the same thing I see and, and I see a great great comment in, in the chat about a, a, a cloud competition that's ten thousand dollars I saw a cloud competition that's fifty thousand dollars to the winner fifty thousand dollars for a cloud competition fifty thousand dollars could fund a lobbyist in Texas for the whole year what well, hello what am I will, missing here
1: yeah and and they are not on my member list
2: yeah
1: all, all I know is that if we come together with a pure heart that we really want to help each other That's <laughs> I don't know the problem fa- I don't
2: know what kind of fantasy world you're living in <laughs> I
1: know, that's the problem There's that nothing that's pure what about all- the vaping
2: industry You
1: know what, we all did though Every one of us were real people And really wanted to help And and there were some of them That were outside That all they were doing was wanting to, to, to Thump their chest And I'm like, you know what, go over there and thump your chest Because I got shit to do Y'all are driving me okay. nuts
2: you know, I don't know I, we did I, good. in one of the advocacy meetings that we had in Tampa Pamela Gorman said something really really interesting um, and, and she spoke out to the vendors there's about a hundred vendors in that in that advocacy meeting and she said all of you here started you know with the same goal and that's to help people quit smoking you know and and, and you have customers that come into your store and and whether they are 22 or 82 or uh, like Jake um, you have customers come into your store and they, they thank you for, for for changing their lives, for benefiting their health, for for giving them longevity. I mean, it, it's so passionate and so sentimental and so close to people's heart. This is what you started with. And what the hell happened?
1: <laughs> what they the forgot. Hell? What the hell happened They forgot. Now? And that's a shame because, you know, whenever you can, get back in those shops and listen to those stories. It, it's sad that they forget.
2: Yeah, well, that's what money does, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, I, the only thing I can attribute to this is, is money and egos. And that's what, it is. that's what it boils down to, whether you're a vapor, a shop owner, distributor, or an advocacy. And it, it happens everywhere, all across the board in this industry.
1: Well, it happens with every part of it too, every aspect of it. Whether you're talking advocacy, you're talking about um, the way they mix their e-liquid, or, or the way that they do business every day, it happens.
2: Yeah. Well, we need it. We don't need to get into that conversation because we we'll would be here for another three hours. But <laughs> I will invite you back to have that conversation because it's really important to have people that are in the industry discuss these things. And and sometimes, you know. I even said in the last show, we're walking on eggshells when we're discussing some of these flaming issues, no pun intended, of the vaping community and the industry as a whole. And there's just a, a whole slew of problems that's going across. And, and obviously legislation to me, state legislation, is very, very close to my heart. And that's why I keep fighting, because we have to get these states organized. And you see what happens when they don't. They get creamed yeah. by by the special interest groups. All right. Anything else that you want to add, show? before I let you go?
1: No, thanks for uh, allowing me to, to tell everybody the law and, and hopefully clear some of it up for them because I definitely want them prepared yes. and, and ready for it to come down in October.
2: Yes, and join this FADA chapter in Texas. Contact How can they contact you, by the way, if they want to?
1: Uh, they can just contact me through my email, which is just shellhamel at gmail dot com. That's not very professional. You need to have like at thevaporbar.com. dot so com or like, something. I <laughs> do so- have one. Shell at thevaporbarstore.com. <laughs> <or> Doesn't that bother you sometimes?
2: <laughs> is it just a pet peeve of mine? Oh, we're this huge distribution company. Try you know get our liquid in the shop. Contact us at thebestliquid <laughs> at gmail like, right, so the <laughs> dot com.
1: all right, so shell at thevaporbarstore.com. dot com. How's that?
2: Does it bother you or is it just me? Because I think it's just, maybe it's just me.
1: I, I, I didn't go on here for the business, so I make sure that I, I was just making sure I was being political.
2: <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just so thanks a lot for joining us and thanks for breaking down the law in Texas.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.
2: Have a wonderful evening. You too. Bye. There she goes, everybody. Shell Hamill from the Vapor Bar, breaking down the law, breaking the law, breaking the law in Texas. Uh, and, and I like having segments like this. I'm going to try to get Indiana, Arkansas lined up here for the next few weeks. Um, I'm going to be going to Indiana at the end of the month, vaping the fort, reunited again with Phil Busardo. And we have a third wheel, JT from Vape Star. So it's going to be the trifecta of uh, of uh, the boys there. But uh, hopefully we have a nice advocacy session there in Indiana uh, fighting the bad stuff that they're fighting over there now with uh, with a lawsuit. But I'm going to try to have this every week to try to break down the law so you understand exactly what is happening. There's a lot of confusion in Texas, a lot of confusion. And a lot of those egos that stepped up, even people that contacted me. And, and I'm in a very difficult position because they're all my friends. So whether you support the TEVA or the other association that's in Texas or the or the Svada chapter, you know, they come to me and, I feel really bad because I can't I don't want to tell them. Hey, you know, you need to get, you know, get organized because everybody tries, you know, to do the best based on what their ego or their financial gain is or because they don't like somebody. You got to put all that aside so much confusion. That is the law. That is what they did with this final chapter. That's how the bill was enacted. If you like what they did, if you agree with what you want to support them, get out there and join this final chapter. It's strength in numbers game. Obviously financially. <laughs> You're up against sixteen lobbyists from Altria in Texas, and we can't raise sixty fucking grand in te- what the hell is going on? Ninety members? That's ridiculous. Ridiculous for a state like Texas that is so so big in vaping. Anyway, moving ahead. I got another uh, piece here that I want to talk about. Um, I went to Greece. I went to Greece and uh, for my vacation my wife and my kids were there uh, I didn't see him for five weeks and it was it hurt I mean my girls are my life you know so I was really really excited to see him and uh, and and dealing with my older da- daughter you know she's getting into that tween now she's almost 13 she'll be 13 in November it, it has been a challenge for both me and my wife probably the most challenging thing in my life but I was really really excited to see him uh, I, I flew to Greece I left here the day that the chattanooga shootings happened here at the military um recruitment centers very very emotional trip i was actually in air leaving chattanooga going to charlotte to make my connection uh when everything went down if i would have waited another hour uh, uh they had a no-fly zone over chattanooga it was really bad and and my heart and my prayers go out to the families affected um so i get to i get to charlotte uh, I connect to Charlotte, Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia to Greece. Three planes to get there. But anyway, I get to Greece, uh, and, I, and I said to myself, you know, I'm not going to to invest into vaping uh, as I have in other trips. And and some people got pissed off, and and I apologized. But um, I had a really rough year. I mean, it was a very very busy year for me. I traveled a lot uh, for, from my Mountain Oak Vapers job to the restaurant job to the advocacy job the only non-paying job i have which is the most hard job that i that i that that i tend to it it was just a difficult year for me i just wanted to take it easy and and relax uh so um you know i kind of shut everything down i only made one appearance i went to the vapor's uh, boutique uh john Artopolo is the guy that makes the uh, the hydra from elsgaard opened up a vape sh- lounge really it was really uh, nice to see the, the work that he did there, he actually tried to mimic some of the stores here and try to make it, um, you know, a comfortable lounge area, you know, with a nice little shop, with a really nice collection of of liquids and devices and everything that's out there. Um, and I, I hung out with him uh, for, for an evening. A lot of people showed up. We had a great time. I got to meet a lot of people that I haven't met. So that was one of my my vaping uh, journeys. I want to tell you a really interesting, funny story. And, and this just never happens to me. Uh we me and my wife uh we went to Monastiraki which is the big uh big shopping area in downtown Athens and um <clears throat> we um we were just walking around shopping you know getting little knickknacks we got you know some shirts some keychains just stuff to bring back just little gifts you know to 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 pass out and as me and my wife were walking through Monastiraki this guy jumps out of a store and says, "Hey, I graffiti these. and I'm like, "What?" I looked at him. I was like, "You know, he had a beard too." And I figured in my I, 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 the first thing I thought in my head, "This is a guy from school," but he's growing a beard, and I don't recognize him. And I'm like, uh, oh, who are you?" And uh, <laughs> and the guy says, "Oh, you know, I see your videos, and you know," and, and I was like, "Oh, you're a vapor," and uh, he had a Essex mini with uh with um aeronaut dripper on it it was was pretty cool so it was was just really really funny and he worked at a shop that had bouzoukis and guitars and accessories for him and parts for him and all that which is great because my father-in-law plays the bouzouki so we walk in and we bought some stuff and it was we took some pictures i posted them on instagram and facebook Uh, but it was it was it was it was it was a lot of fun i really enjoyed meeting uh meeting him and uh just you know there's vapors everywhere everywhere you look um, vaping in Greece as a whole is—it's grown a lot. You see a lot more of uh, the trend that we're seeing here, uh, a lot more shops being more—you uh, uh, know—lounges than they were before. Where in Greece, you know, people would open up a shop, throw you know a display counter inside and a shelf, and start selling electronic cigarettes. That fat is kind of going away, and people are shifting to these more professional—you um, know—lounge-looking stores, which is a really good thing because I think that's what's helping grow vaping in Greece. Uh, a lot of stores uh, in my little suburb of northern Athens, and I get about there's two vape stores now, uh, which was it's really nice because uh, uh, guess what? My my brother in law, uh, after 25 years of smoking two packs of Rothmans, if you don't know what Rothmans are, they're a British cigarette. I think they're British, uh, very heavy cigarettes. Uh, after 25 years of smoking two packs of Rothmans a day, which was a 10 euro a day habit, by the way. Right. The average salary in Greece is 700 euros a month, and he was spending 300 euros a month on cigarettes. He's finally vaping, finally vaping after all these years. It's fantastic. I got him set up with an iTaste taste uh, pro uh, and a Nautilus uh, tank. And then I gave him for a backup um, uh, with the little Inakin cool fire, the new one, the little box mod with another tank. And I gave him a bunch of juice and I set him all up and I explained the whole process to him. And, you know, now it's four weeks. I think he's been smoke-free. But it's great because now I can tell him, listen, this is, you know, I brought him like seven coils, you know, and all. So I'll have everything, right? If you need something, you go to this vape store. This is what you ask for. I wrote it down so he doesn't get taken advantage. This is your replacement coils. This is your tanks and all that. So it was, it's great. It's great to see vaping grow. Uh, once again, you know, from an advocacy standpoint, uh, really not a lot of knowledge of the TBD. Nobody really gives a shit. But I'm getting kind of used to it now. I'm kind of giving up on that. Right? So, so, uh, but but vaping's grown. Part of my trip, uh, my other vaping trip was, uh, I called Doctor F up and I said, "Hey, let's get together and have dinner." And he says, "I'm heading down to the University of Patras, which is about a good two and a half, three hours from Athens." And he says, I'm going to be there on the, uh, this weekend working on some projects and some research. And um, he says, why don't you come down? So I told my wife, I said, you're up for a road trip. Let's just take the kids and go down there. There's a really nice hotel casino um, called The Rio, which was um, – the, the hotel was really, really nice. We really enjoyed our stay there. It had a pool. It was right on the beach. It had a casino. They didn't let my wife get in because she didn't have her passport, which is kind of silly uh, because I heard they went bankrupt like a couple weeks later. But um, anyway – so I said, okay, let's go for a road trip. So we go down there, and, uh, and uh, I, meet, I met up with Dr. F. And I said, Dr. F, you know, we're having all this pressure in the United States and across the world, you know, on electronic cigarettes. We need something that's very that's really powerful, something that I can do that's going to be, you know, it's going to make a huge impact. And he says, well, let's do a side-by-side, uh, you know, uh, b- b- cigarette versus w- versus vapor uh, demonstration. He says, we have the equipment here. You know, we don't have to do anything really professional, but something just to have that, that, that the visual impact. And, um, so I went and bought a pack of cigarettes and, uh, a Marlboro and, um, and we went into the lab and they have this machine set up. It's really, it's, it was kind of, it's kind of like a homemade device. Cause there's really nothing that, um, that was out there at the time that can absorb the volume of vapor, uh, which I'm going to talk about here in a little bit, but they, they created this machine that has a pump and you set up, uh, you know, your little tubes and you either put it on a cigarette or you put it on a vaping device and then you program it automatically what to do. You can time it. Uh, on how long the draw that you want. And it's based on the national standard of cigarettes, which is like 60 mils per puff. So, um, you know, he set it up, we we'll put the cigarette there. Uh, we used a glass fiber filter that is used to to trap uh, the vapor or the smoke, and then they analyze that. That's how you get all the formada high testing and stuff like that. So, we did eight puffs on a Marlboro cigarette, which pretty much put it, put it out. Uh, there were two second puffs. And the machine automatically, you know, would draw on it and then push back and it has a release valve so the air is not pushing back. And um so we did that. We did eight puffs. The 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 filter was white when we started. <laughs> but 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 by the, by the time we got done with eight puffs from the tobacco cigarette is completely brown. You can go on my Facebook, on my Instagram, I have pictures of it. Uh, but yeah, you know, you know, I was really shocked and I smoked for so many years and I know, you know, you see the residue on your, on your clothes and you see the residue in in, our, in your house and your curtains and all that. But that visual effect was really, to me, I was like, shit, man, look at the, I mean, immediately turned completely Brown. So then we set up, I had a sub tank with me, Had has some apricot dam in it. <laughs> I, uh, I set up the sub-tank of the machine, and we did, we did 20 puffs of the electronic cigarette. And the reason why we did that is because the nicotine delivery from an electronic cigarette is slower than a traditional tobacco cigarette. So it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be fair to do eight puffs of the electronic cigarette at two seconds and eight puffs of the tobacco cigarette. So we did 20 puffs of the electronic cigarette at four seconds on every draw. And it was really interesting, you know, we spent 10, 15 minutes on each test, but to see the machine, you know, draw the vapor out of the the tank. And when we got done, we opened up the capsule, and the filter had a little dab in the middle, which I think is condensation. That's what Dr. F said at the end, a little little, uh, concentration uh, probably from from the liquid, you know, the sub-tank, you know, just drawing it up there. But, you know, you can't, you know, deny that visual effect to me was the most powerful. You know, if you had a choice... And, and, you know, immediately the trolls hit Facebook as soon as I posted this. Oh, you know, some of the carcinogens, you know, you can't see them. They're invisible. Yes, I get it. I get it. All right. This is not supposed to be a scientific experiment. It's supposed to be a visual experiment, though. If you put tobacco cigarettes versus vapor side by side and look at that result with just a small test like that, what would you want to be inhaling? And what makes sense is that the vapor cigarette, Especially in the short term, does not have the same effect as a tobacco syrup. That's what I'm trying to show with this. So once we got done, we started doing some some temperature control experiments. He has a rig set up um, that that the guy that does electronics for Emeo, for the Golden Greek. <laughs> Uh, yeah, remember him, uh, the guy that does it has has fixed for him, and and this is it's a really intricate piece, and he didn't even let me, you know, he didn't give me any details about it. They're using it for the experimentation, but what it does is it goes in between the device and the atomizer to check the temperature control. Okay, so uh, you know we have the piece sits on top of the device, and then you screw your atomizer on. And I ask him why are you doing this, and he says, well, the devices they have resistance in them as well too. So the coil that I had was 0.15, that's what it was reading on my machine, that was labeled on the coil itself, actually was 0.12. So there was a 20% deviation of the resistance to the coil than what was showing to me on the screen. And he says this happens all the time. Because I've seen it myself, I'll take a call and I put it on another device. it reads different. I put it on another device it reads different. I put it on an SX chip and set it on temperature mode, it vapes different. I'm like, "What the hell is going on?" <laughs> so I want to play this. This is about eight, nine minutes long, but I think it's really, really interesting to hear what Dr. F said and, and why I'm pissed, right? I'm really pissed about the, 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 the manufacturers that are putting out these devices, the manufacturers that are putting out these wires, and we're vaping them, and they have no data. They have no data. Number one, they're not accurate. Uh, Not completely accurate and number two We don't have any data on actually the temperature control and not only the temperature control, but what temperature is bad Do we know what temperature is bad to vape at has anybody done any testings on VG PG nicotine the different flavorings whether it's a high PG Whether it's a low PG we have nothing yet We put it out there and people are vaping and we become the guinea pigs so the, w- one thing about temperature control that, that, I, that I want to, to explain is we have all these temperature control devices that are coming out. We have all these different types of, of, of wire with nickel and, and titanium and stainless steel. Mm-hmm. And we have companies that are putting out these devices and putting out these wires and people are using them. Yeah. However... How many of those companies have actually done any testing to, to let people know exactly what temperature control is doing? When, we don't know the levels of safe evaporization or how it changes with the different liquids that are out there and the different setups, the different tanks. So I guess my question is, okay, we know that temperature control is, is a vital tool, uh, you know, moving ahead with, with vaping in the industry itself. But we don't have a standard. We don't know what to look for even when using temperature control. So how do we address that?
4: So, there are three major issues. Uh, two basically. One is if the device is doing what it says it's doing. Right. Which, by the uh, way, that's a great, great point that
2: you bring up. Because how does the user? I mean, your average vapor. If I, I have four or five different temperature control devices, and I put the same tank on, and they're all kind of reading different. How do I know which one is the accurate one? How do I know which what, what it's. Not? I should, have stopped. I should have stopped right there. As soon as he says, you cannot, I'm like, why the fuck are we using temperature control then? If if, if the user doesn't know what the hell they're doing, what's the point of temperature control,
4: honestly? Unfortunately. Uh, because there is no testing, I don't know if anyone has used the device that we prepared and we are using for the test. Uh...
2: We're using a HANA uh, DNA40 uh, chip, by the way, on this di- on the device, in a, in, a, in a HANA box.
4: I can almost certainly say that no one is doing that. Perhaps some people are using infrared cameras, but you're not going to get any really accurate result by that. Oh, poor Phil. <laughs> uh, and the problem is, one is, if the device is indeed controlling the temperature, and at what, you know, exact levels it is controlling the temperature. The second is, as you mentioned, what are the safety limits? So uh, what we are doing and what we plan to do is not only measure the temperatures and how they are affected by different durations, by different power levels and so on, but uh, we are developing now the lab, uh, further developing the lab for measuring aldehydes and what we're going to do is test at different temperature levels which we are going to monitor with our equipment, so we're going to monitor the temperatures externally, we're going to test uh, at what temperatures we are seeing, you know, an elevation in the formation of aldehydes, which again, is not very simple because you know that different liquids behave, might behave differently. Sure. So. Um, it's, uh, you know, the nature of this cigarette is a very complex device, and with all this variability of devices, of atomizers, designs and liquids, you expect different things. So we are going to see, to get an idea, but of course, uh, getting an idea doesn't mean that every vapor will know exactly sure. what he's taking, because every vapor is using different liquids and even the same vapor is using different liquids all the time. So. Uh, We will get an idea. At least we will make sure that we will avoid any inaccuracies coming from the uh, device themselves uh, because we are monitoring the temperatures externally. So we will be able to define that uh, what we are measuring is coming out at the temperature that we have measured with external equipment and not at the temperature that the device is supposed to work. So,
2: okay. So we're going to, you know, Dr. F is going through this temperature control study that he's doing, which is very complex, right? Okay. What are the companies doing that are selling these, <laughs> these products? So, okay, we're going to have to wait for this test. The products are already on the market. People are already using these. They're, they're, they're inhaling vapor into their lungs with these products, yet we have absolutely no idea what a safe level is to vape. Am I the only one that's seeing something wrong with this? And I'm not going to get into the nickel videos that the the shop owner... You know, they make great points, but I don't know. I mean, is he a, is he a scientist? I'm not going to get into everybody's opinion because apparently everybody that vapes becomes a scientist and an engineer and an attorney. However, at what point does us as consumers have to say, hey, hold on a second, what the fuck? You have these products on the market already. Get, you have done no testing to tell us, you know... First of all, why should we be using it? At what level should we use it? And is the device that I'm using accurate? Is the wire that I'm using accurate to to what the screen is displaying? Because I guarantee you, it's not. Uh,
4: of course, the only way of making sure that the device works properly is by testing it with something like what we have developed. There is no other way through taste, by seeing if you if uh, the coil is. Uh, getting red hot, which means this, we're talking about huge elevations, I think it's impossible to, to evaluate by this means whether the device works good or not. Because it can work at temperature control, but the important thing is when you set it at a specific temperature setting, does it work at this temperature setting? It overshoots, it undershoots, what's happening? That's the important, that's the key issue.
2: And by the way, I, I see a comment in the chat that I want to address pretty quick. Because there's a study coming out on aldehydes. I can't give you too much information, but I can tell you that uh, there might be aldehydes in the vapor even before a dry hit. So let's not be too quick to say that, uh, uh, you know, if you're not going to get a dry hit, you're safe. Because that is not completely accurate. So, again, this is not about canthol versus nickel versus titanium. We know nothing Absolutely nothing on temperature control as far as the user and what exactly he's getting when he's pressing the button. Uh, I'm not the only one that's used various devices and got different different results. To me, you know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm grumpy, but I'm pretty pissed off. Because in any other Imagine industry, that. when you put out a piece of equipment, every other industry tests it, make sure, you know, they go through the paces and inform the, the consumer... Before they buy it, what the purpose of that equipment is, how to use it, why to use it. And it seems like in vaping that doesn't happen. I mean we're just tossing we're just tossing devices out there and you see now every every manufacturer is putting out a temperature control device out there. It's there's so much confusion in the market, I think it's actually hurting the industry, confusing the end user, especially people that are not online and in the community as this small percentage like we are. So the person is going to go buy a device in the store and he gets a temperature-controlled device, maybe he thinks, oh, oh, this is safer than the other electronic cigarette. And and that is not accurate. At this point, since we don't know, the companies that are producing these devices have not said anything, uh, have not done their own testing to be able to provide the information to the people that are selling the equipment and ultimately the consumer. So I don't know. I guess I'm just pissed off because, I mean, (laughs) you know, there's so much confusion in the market, and I think it's working against our industry than, than trying to help it.
4: Unfortunately, that's the case. We have to admit it. That is the case. And uh, it is a problem, I agree with you. But what can you do right now? I mean, <laughs> I it's response. impossible for vendor right. to make sure that the device is working as it's right. supposed to. And, and they shouldn't. And, and they, they should not pay the money to right. have the equipment or the ability to develop this equipment, which we developed ourselves as can well. yeah. See, it's pretty custom-made, and it took a lot of time to develop it. Right. So, uh, it's impossible for a vapor to get uh, all vapors to get this equipment and make sure that the devices are correct. Uh, unfortunately, it's the manufacturer's responsibility. And- and that's,
2: that's, that's exactly where I'm getting at. I'm not trying to tell you not to vape with nickel. That's <laughs> somebody saying they're vaping on nickel. I'm not telling you not to vape. I'm saying at what point when we're dropping $200 on, on devices uh, that are temperature, at what point do we question the manufacturers? At what point do we say, okay, you have this device. Why should I be using it? What is my safe level of using it? You know, why should I be using this wire? At what point do we question them and not become the guinea pigs for these products? That's exactly what I'm trying to get here. I'm not trying to discourage anybody from using anything. you probably vape on copper. You'd be safer than a cigarette. Well, not, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding before I get attacked again. But but you know what I'm trying to say. No matter what you're using, I guarantee you it's better than a cigarette. But at what point as a consumer do we question the temperature control?
4: Uh, I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they're doing something, but I don't know. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, you, you would think that this would come out before, whatever they're doing would come out before you sell a device Obviously. for the general public, especially something that we use to inhale vapor into our lungs. I mean, it's, to me, it's it's extremely serious and it's extremely important. And, uh, and and that's why, you know, I never jumped on the temperature control uh, bandwagon, like, oh, this is the next next thing since sliced bread, because we simply don't know. And if I'm going to recommend something, I want to make sure that A, the device works properly, B, we have some safety levels to be able to set a threshold and say, well, okay, we know this mixture of 50-50% VGPG with flavoring the safe, you know, threshold is X amount of degrees, we just don't know now. So even, I mean, we're controlling the temperature based on taste, I guess, now more than anything, which we could do with Canthal anyway. Um, obviously, we're avoiding the dry hit,
4: but... The dry hit is just another right. way of understanding that the temperatures can reached
2: over This really gets interesting right
4: here. Right. But the important thing is, to, uh, with the temperature control, it, you have the possibility to further reduce the exposure. Yeah. We don't know by how much. Uh, maybe, you know, it depends on the measurements that we're going to do with abdehytes. Because yeah. it is highly likely that below the dry puff threshold the difference is a minimum.
2: Right. So, so, so what he's saying is that when you're vaping with Canthal and experienced users, and I'm assuming a lot of people that listen to this podcast are experienced users, we know, right? We know a dry hit is and we know if you're, if you're dripping, you know when a a dry hit's about to come. Uh, That didn't sound good. But anyway, I mean, you know with Canthal, even with Canthal, you know as an experienced user, you know when your device is working properly or not.
4: Which means that, which would mean that the, Taste acts as a very nice, very good, and very accurate defense mechanism with yeah. exposure, and you don't need anything right. else besides that. But I'm not saying that that's the case. Right, I'm saying right. that we need to see that. But that would be
2: ironic that if, by taste, you can control it, you don't have to spend all this money and get confused in the market with the temperature
4: control devices. I know, but But you never
2: know. I mean, again, we don't know unless we do testing, and and, and I think that's that's, uh, ultimately where I'm getting at. And finally, when it comes to temperature control, based on the the stuff that you have seen out there and the equipment that you have tested out there, I mean, how accurate are the devices that are out there on the market now?
4: Well, I haven't tested a lot of devices, uh, to tell you the truth. Uh, because we don't have time. I mean, it's something that the manufacturers should do, the manufacturers should pay for that, and I'm not going to uh, substitute the manufacturers because right now there are, I support more than 10 devices like this, maybe more, and uh, I'm not going to do the work. I have more things to do rather mm-hmm. than doing that, and this is something that should be the responsibility of the manufacturers and they should pay for that. Uh, uh, there is no other way. Uh,
2: Based on your experience, though, and I want to quote Phil, Phil Busardo here, where he said, you know, we're kind of temperature control guessing than we are controlling, because depending on the, day, the time of the day and, and, you know, where you're at and how the, the pace of vaping and the device that you're using, I, we can't say for certain that we're actually controlling the temperature.
4: Well, there, the, probably there is some control, but we are not sure about the quality and the level of control, and the consistency. Uh, Maybe you say that 400 Fahrenheit and it's giving 450 or it's giving 350, you don't know Uh, When you are using the same atomizer and the same liquid with two different temperature control uh, devices And you see significant changes in taste, perhaps something's different Uh, I suppose that's that's what's happening Uh, So... You know, you cannot know, and the the vapor is neither is neither responsible nor in a position to be able to accurately test whether the devices work right. work properly or not. Right.
2: So once again, the vapors are the guinea pigs of, of the manufacturers. Oh, yes. Once again, see this is this is I, this is this is uh, this is the reason why I wanted to play this little audio clip that I got from him because ultimately, it's not our responsibility to know. It is the responsibility of the manufacturer, but in my in my in my temperature control dealings since it came out, one of the reasons why I've kind of shied away of of being more vocal about it is because it's so inconsistent. The vape itself, once you get everything set up and once you have everything right, is consistent. And we did see temperature. We did test out temperature control. I did shoot a couple of videos with the sub tank. Um and, and we saw the, the spike using his equipment, the equipment that they're using now for the temperature control study. And we did see that spike and then the controlling of the temperature and everything came out to be pretty much, you know, on par with what the, what the device was saying. But we did see other atomizers that had even a 20 percent change in resistance. We did see other devices. We did use a nice thick 40 watt, which is pulse. And it's it was it was all over the place. So there are stuff out there that we don't know. And we're using it. And ultimately, that's what I want to get to. As a consumer, you need to step up and ask the manufacturers to do more testing on these products before they put them on the market. Am I buying the temperature control train? Am I I getting on it? Not yet. I think it does have the potential, uh, especially for the new user, which is extremely important, to be very, very beneficial. But as an experienced user, uh, I can tell you that it's not that I don't see the need for it. I still vape with both nickel and, and, uh, and canthal. Um, it's not that I don't see the use for it for an experienced user, but I still want to see more, especially with the devices and some of the stuff that we're using. It's one thing if you put in a T3S coil and put it on an eagle battery and give it to a new user. He never gets a dry hit. That's a great thing. But it's still, it's still in its infancy, and I think that we need to pressure more the manufacturers, especially China, that now is jumping on the temperature control. When every device that is coming out has temperature control. Uh, we need to put the pressure and say, hey, how accurate is this? And I want to see more testing done by the manufacturers themselves. It shouldn't be the user. And it shouldn't be anybody else footing the bill to do this. They need to do it by themselves. So they need to release it out to the public so they know exactly what they're buying. All right. That's what I had for the temperature control ramblings tonight. I do have a couple of Shout outs, where is that? Let me find it. I want to give a shout out to Jonathan Folds. Uh, Jonathan Folds is a professor of public health and psychiatry at Pennsylvania State University which gave the following statement on the latest FDA regulation plans to the Inquisitor daily newspaper. Quote, it would be in the same ballpark as being addicted to caffeine. Talking, of course, about nicotine. And followed that by saying, I'm not saying e-cigarettes are as harmless as coffee, but the harm isn't such a disaster as death from smoking. Tobacco harm reduction. Thank you so much, Jonathan. You get a shout out. From Smoke Free Radio. (laughs) Shit, I hit the wrong button. Shout out to Alabama vendors and vapors that showed up on a bad, bad taxation bill that showed up down there at the Capitol in Alabama. Over 100 vapors, vendors, and manufacturers showed up at the state capitol and defeated the bill for now because you know it's coming back down there in Alabama, so you guys get a shout-out. Yeah, The Breathe Alliance, the group that is down there, is now uh, in the stages of transforming into a smoke-free association. Uh, Hopefully, I'll be able to go down there at the end of the month and talk to them and get everything set up so we can continue this fight year-round. Shout-out to you, Alabama. Finally, shout-out to the Massachusetts Smoke-Free Association. I gotta be honest with you. Um... There was a lot of drama involved in Massachusetts uh, by, by, by a few people uh, that basically said that I went in to form a smoke-free association and kind of disrupted the plans that they had, uh, which is not true. Uh, I was sitting quietly at home when I got a phone call from various vendors up in Massachusetts that asked me to come up and help them. And that's exactly what I did. I took uh, one of my Sundays that I'm off, and I flew up to Boston. and met with a lot of vendors there, and they decided to launch the Massachusetts Smoke-Free Association. I have never seen a group get organized as efficiently and successfully as this group. And you know why? It's a great bunch of vendors, and they have a lot of vapors that are advocates that are helping them. PD. From the Quest Network, Dimitra Shelton. These are just vapers. They're passionate about vaping. And that's what a great association does. It gets the vapers involved. Businesses are busy. Get the people that want to contribute. The people that are passionate about vaping to join you and help you. Man, they got organized. And today I'm proud to announce that Vista has assigned a lobbyist from Boston to represent the vaping industry in Massachusetts through the Massachusetts Smoke Free Association. Huge shout-out to you guys. You did fantastic, and I wish you nothing but success in the future. I'll be here uh, to support you in anything that you need. Yeah! And finally, a rant. (laughs) Can't do a smoke-free radio without a rant. Um, But my rant has nothing to do with vaping. It has to do with flying. We have lost all of our rights as a citizen when we're flying. We have lost everything that used to be customer service. Everything. Everything. You know, I've had, if you follow me, uh, I travel a lot. I have had some bad luck this year. I have had some bad luck traveling. But coming back from Greece with my family, I had three connections. I left Athens. We went to Rome, Italy. From Rome, Italy, we had the international flight to Charlotte, North Carolina. And from Charlotte, North Carolina to Chattanooga. Three planes with three women. Yes, that is just my luck. <laughs> uh, we get to Athens. We're a little bit late getting up, which kind of sucked. But we get to Athens, and uh, we, we board the plane. We get to, uh, to Italy. Uh, nice, smooth transaction in Italy. We get to the gate a lot of people there we get into the airplane i'm like man this is going pretty good <laughs> this, never had so it's such a smooth transaction getting into the plane uh we get to charlotte before we get to charlotte we're in the airplane and they're passing out the uh, the forms for the customs now since i fly a lot i paid to our government 250 dollars to obtain a global entry card A global entry card is basically A frequent flyer p- program Trusted flyer I get TSA pre-check and domestic And I also can go through The global entry system When I'm flying international So I don't have to wait in line For passport control uh, So uh, the lady comes with the customs And I, and I say uh, I have a global entry card uh, Can I use this? And then she says yeah And I said well I have my family with me And she says sure no problem You just go through the global entry With your family and um, so, so I said, "Oh, that's great! You know, we don't have to go wait and passport control in this, you know, Charlotte Airport." So we get to 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 Charlotte. We onboard. Uh, I go down through the global entry line, which is has absolutely nobody there. And I looked to my left, and passport control in Charlotte is a bitch. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of people. The lines are horrid. We had a connection to make, you know, to to get from from Charlotte, Chattanooga. So I go into the global entry, I put my card in, you know, you have to put your fingerprints to make sure that it's you, and it double-checks the system. By the way, the global entry card, I had to go to an airport and give an interview, they took my fingerprints, I mean, they took everything, everything, They, they, they the, the, the government knows everything about me at this point. So while i'm filling out the form it prints out the little piece of paper i'm getting ready to take my kids to go through through security and uh this lady comes up to me and she says uh, everybody that's here has to have a global entry card uh and i said well i mean i have but you know my this is my family she says no 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 everybody that's here and the kids <laughs> i mean my daughter's 9 i mean my daughter's 9 what the fuck is going to get a global entry card <laughs> Uh, and I said, hold on a second. I said, I was in the plane and the, the stewardess told me that I don't need this. And she says, well, you know, that's not right. And I said, hold on a second. You're telling me that the stewardess lied to me. And she's like, well, I'm not telling you what to tell you. I'm telling you, you can't, you can't be here. You, you know, they have to be in there. So at this point I'm starting to lose it. Uh, but I had my kids with me. I didn't want to make a big scene. I said, okay, well, let's just go and just, you know, so we get in line Our hour and 15 minutes, at least. At least, uh, while I'm waiting in line, this other employee uh, is is behind the barrier, and I asked her. I said, "Can I ask you a question?" I said, "With a global entry card, can I get 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 through?" And she says, "Well, you need one for you, uh, for the global entry card, but it's not a family one. So you do a family one for you, and then a fa-, And I said, "Hold on a second. You're telling me I do a family one for me at the global entry. This is my family. What do they have to? Do? Well, do they have to do another one." And I said, "Hold on a second. I said. I- and that was really nice. So you can ask my wife. I swear to God, I was like, "Listen, I'm not trying to be an asshole here or argue with you, but I'm just asking. You just told me that I do one for my family, and then my family has to do another one. So that's basically two families. And and now she gets pissy with me. She's like, "Well, I don't work for the TSA. I work for US Airways. And I'm like, "Bitch, I don't give a fuck where you work. <laughs> I'm asking you a question. If you can't answer it, you go find me somebody. I mean, you're an I'm the consumer. I'm the customer. What the hell are you telling me? You don't, I don't care where you work. I'm asking you a question. You gave me an answer that I need two, two family entries into the United States when I already have one for my family. So she gets all pissy, she walks off. Whatever. So okay, I keep waiting in line. I was like, "Fuck it, whatever." And my wife's like, "Don't make a scene." Uh, but at this point, you know, I wanted to make a scene, so I figured I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to the passport control, and when I get done with passport control, then I'm gonna make a scene, so I can make sure I get to the United States, and I don't get arrested <laughs> before I get it. So. But the line took so long, right? I mean, it was it was it took so long. I swear, and Connie says, "Yeah." I, I mean, I was irate. I was I was prepared to spend twenty four hours in jail. I was that pissed off because it's difficult. I mean, why do I pay the two hundred and fifty dollars to Global Entry if I can't use the damn thing, right? So we get we finally make it to passport control, but now I look at my my watch and it's five. Forty. The plane leaves at six twenty from Charlotte to go to Chattanooga. So I walk through passport control. They stamp our passports, and then now we have to collect our bags and recheck them because you're coming internationally, which is a pain in the ass. Let me take a puff. So we go outside where the belts are, and our bags are already off the belt, obviously, because we were two hours in the fucking passport control. We get our bags and we're rushing. We go through the doors and we go to recheck at US Airways. So we get to the counter, okay? So I tell the girl before I check the bags because if the bag if we can't make the flight, I'm not going to check my bags in. We might have to spend the night at the hotel. So I tell the girl. I said I have a flight to Chattanooga. It's this she says like what number is the flight? She she looks it up and she's like oh, you got plenty of time. They haven't even boarded yet. So I said um uh yeah yeah (laughs) i forgot that yeah she told me that if they they caught me with a global entry card they might remove my global entry ooh you're not gonna have my 250 dollars fuck you anyway so so the girl at the us air counties where they're rechecking the bag says oh yeah no problem you got no problem you just uh they haven't even boarded yet let me have your bags now here's the problem if if you're in customer service right if she had told me there listen you're gonna make the flight your bags might not make it you know it's you know it's kind of close I, you know i'll accept that i'll, I'll take that because i'm an i'm an understanding person i'm not unreasonable but she was like oh yeah sure no problem put them up here you know and she takes my bags and she puts them in the belt and uh, and me and my wife and my kids get out and and thankfully we're at d terminal in charlotte i don't know if you've ever flown there and e is right next door so it wasn't that far So we get out of the D Terminal, we go up the stairs, and then we go to to E Terminal. We get to the gate. They hadn't even boarded yet, which was great. Um, Connie had a headache. I went and got her some Tylenol, got her water, and while I get there, she says, we're boarding. So I pick up the kids. We get into the plane. I was like, man, this is great. We made our connection. We're going to be in Chattanooga, you know, 7 o'clock in the evening instead of our usual 11 o'clock at night. And uh, so I said, you know, now if we can get the bags too, that would be great. Why in the fuck did I say that? (laughs) Why did I jinx that? So we get Chattanooga, we board, we go down to the um to the um to the baggage claim and um I walk outside, I find a cab, and I said, Hold on, let me get my bags. I got my family and we're going here. So he says, Yeah, no problem, no problem. So I go back inside, I tell uh, and we're waiting. The bags start coming out and uh, you know, one by one, one 90 by one. Seconds. Oh, shut up. Let me end you. Let me end you. Um, so one by one the the bags. Come Thank out. you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye. Good, kiss my ass. All right, so the the bags one by one coming out of the back, <laughs> the belt, and uh, and you know next thing they're pulling them off, they're pulling them off, they're pulling them off. Uh, there's two bags left. All of a sudden I hear the girl in the back saying. Uh, if you don't see your bag, go to the baggage claim ticket area. I was like, oh, you got to be fucking kidding me, man. I mean, this is three bags. We have all the kids clothes in it, you know, and it was just a pain in the ass. So I go to the counter. The counter is like full of people. And uh, and the girl says, uh, well, yeah, um, your your bags didn't, didn't, didn't make it. And I was like, I said, let me ask you something. I'm not trying to be (laughs) an ass again I try to be nice with him I really try to be nice with him I'm not trying to be unreasonable I said, but the girl in Charlotte told me Everything is fine I mean, if she would have told me Listen, your bag's not my makeup I would have taken it better I just get pissed off Because we don't have customer service anymore I paid $6,000 for our tickets to go to Greece And I do it every fucking year You know, I mean I I want some service for crying out loud Stop lying to me Stop lying to me I had to leave without our bags. Went home, got up at six thirty in the morning, and I drove to the airport to pick up my bags. I came in with a morning flight, and once again, thank you very much, TSA, US Airways, American Airlines, for fucking me in the ass. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I will be back next week, Wednesday night, nine p.m. Eastern, with Smoke Free Radio. Have a lovely evening.